Good morning, everyone. Everybody doing good from Thanksgiving? Good. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. And if it's not too early to say it, Merry Christmas. You see how weird it just got in here? All those folks that are like, it's too early, bro. It's like, no, it's not. Thanksgiving's over. We can start talking about it. Christmas is on the way, as stressful as that might be for those of you who are last-minute shoppers. But uh, today's a fun day. We get to do something that uh, I really like. I love uh, when I get to kind of take a bunch of different thoughts and I get to kind of summarize them and I get to close out a series today. And yet I think this series leads us really well into where we're going in December. So it's really great. We've been in this series, uh, The Questions That God Answers. And we've talked about these seven questions that based on some of what Larry Crabb writes about and this material that our staff has spent like the last year kind of in and really applying to our lives, going pretty deep and asking some tough questions. Uh, We've been talking about this for the last seven weeks of our preaching. Jamie, last week, kind of took this idea of how is God's spirit moving today, which is a super important question, and it kind of focuses on, hey, here's what the spirit's going to do, and today, I want to ask the obvious question in follow-up to that and sort of say, how do we join that? How do we join the spirit's movement? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's worded specifically. Uh, and, and I think it'll make a little more sense as we get into it. But I want to use an opening illustration uh, that I think is helpful for this. So I want you to think about a compass, all right? Not the ones they put in your phones because those are digital and they just kind of point in the right direction because, you know, the computer universe tells them where to point. But I want you to think about a mechanical compass, all right? And the way a mechanical compass works, for those of you that don't know, is that our planet, because of its you know, swirling molten core, uh, it has a magnetic pull to it, and it has a magnetic north and a magnetic south. And the magnetic north of our planet, as opposites attract, pulls opposite the, you know, basically if you put a magnet here, the opposite pole of the magnet will pull towards the north. So the way that we do uh, compasses mechanically is we take that magnet and the opposite side that pulls towards the north, we put an N on it and it points that direction. So you can then take the dial and go, all right, this is where north is, which means I can find my way around. Here's something interesting. Because a magnetic force is what's moving that magnet, the primary way that a compass becomes ineffective is for it to be distracted away from its true yet subtle magnetic pull. I will submit to you today that the primary way that we, as believers of God and his spirit, become ineffective is for us to be distracted away from our true north. We can allow the magnetic pull of other things to draw us away from the spirit, which is what we're going to talk about today. So as we do that, let me pray for us because this message was tough for me to put together. It was some wrestling. Uh, and as I delivered it last hour, I've found it is a tough one to swallow for all of us. So let's pray a little bit and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of come in and, and open our hearts to what he might do today. So uh, Spirit of God, as we come to you today, we, we come and we ask that you would open our hearts. We ask that you would give us great revelation today, that you would give us revelation around the things that we need to be doing to join what it is that you're doing today. And, and as well, for us to maybe put some things down, the things that could get in the way, for the, the other magnets of the world to maybe pull our attractions, our desires away from our true north, which is you, to allow you to lead us. So as we do that, we just give ourselves to you completely. Would you lead our hearts? Would you guide our spirits? We pray this in your name. Amen. 
All right, let's take a look at our verse for today. We're gonna be in the book of John, chapter three, verse eight. We're gonna kind of start from this verse and then we're gonna be in the book of John in a bunch of different places as I kind of make the case of what we need to do and how we should look and view the spirit and then how we should join him. So it says this, uh, chapter three, verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Here's the context that Jesus puts uh, into this, this verse. So he's having a conversation and he's speaking with a man named Nicodemus. Uh, here's what you need to know about Nicodemus. Many of you have read this passage, but by re- way of refresh, uh, he's a Pharisee and it refers to him in the text as a ruler of the Jews. What that means is that people typically come to Nicodemus for spiritual advice. And on this night, because he comes under the cloak of darkness, he comes in And he kind of finds his way into Jesus, who seems to be up to something spiritually. And Nicodemus now finds himself coming to Jesus for some spiritual input. And Jesus, in this particular part of the conversation, is talking about this concept of spiritual birth. He's talking about it. Let's take a look at these two verses here. This is the two verses that come before it, and then our verse starts right there in eight. But verses six and seven are really important. Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he goes into this metaphor where he's talking about the spirit and likens it to the wind. I I wanna read a quote real quick because it it sort of sets the stage for what we're gonna talk about here. It's a guy named N.T. Wright. He's a theologian, and he says this about the spirit, specifically talking about verse eight in chapter three. He says, the spirit is on the move like a fresh spring breeze and no human family, tribe, organization, or system can keep up with it. It's a beautiful point. And the cool thing about this verse is that the word for wind in the Greek and the Hebrew is the exact same word that would be used to describe spirit. So when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's going, listen, you don't understand the wind And he's describing like, you don't understand the wind and the spirit. And and the point that he's making is that humanity does about as good a job of controlling God as they do of controlling the wind. We're not great at the wind. Let Let me ask you a question about the wind. How many of you can see the wind? The answer is none of us. We actually never see the wind. You go, well, what about dust storms, Rustin? You know, we get those great, what's the, the haboobs? We get these great, amazing storms that blow into Arizona. And you see that giant wall of wind. It's actually not the wind you're seeing, it's the dust. Well, what about a tree when it, you know, blows through a palm tree or through, you're seeing the wind. You're not. You're seeing the tree and how it moves. Same thing with water in a hurricane. The reality is you don't ever see the wind. You see the things that are affected by the wind. And I want to tell you today, it is the exact same way with the Spirit of God. You don't ever see the Spirit of God. You simply see the people and the things that are affected by it. We can't control this. We can't control the Spirit. Great idea. Let's use an analogy to to think about how we do with the wind. How well do you think mankind controls the wind? We're pretty poor at it. Uh, I want uh, to give an experience that I think we've, most of us have probably had. If not, you've probably seen it. We've all driven to California. You guys seen those windmills that are on the way? Did a little research this week. Those windmills cost about 300 grand, $300,000. And they produce about 300 kilowatts of electricity in a typical month, which is about what an American household uses on average in a month. You know what drives me nuts about the windmills? Okay, because I kind of like things when they're buttoned up and put in order. We'll talk about that a little bit later today. You drive by those windmills and one of them 
is just chugging away, earning its keep, just burning down, spinning like crazy. What's the one next to it doing? Nothing. It's not doing anything at all. As a matter of fact, it's sitting there just as still as the day it was put together, not moving. And I've said to my wife, she's here sitting down in the front, I'm like, you'd think with all the technological advances that we have today, we could figure out how to get these things to sort of get in the way of the wind, like some sort of computer technology. This is how weird and stupid I am when it comes to order. I'm sitting here trying to organize windmills because it drives me nuts that they're not all spinning. It's a $300,000 investment that's not doing anything. Here's my point. That's about how well we control the wind. We can't even figure it out with a $300,000 instrument we can't get them all to spin because we can't, we can't figure out where it's coming from or where it's going. Here's the point that Jesus is making to Nicodemus and I wanna to make to you today. We can't control God. We can't control God just like we can't control the wind. We have an option and that option is to submit to him much like something that needs to be moved by the wind needs to submit to its control. The point that Jesus is making to Nicodemus is he's going, hey, you're onto something with this spiritual life. And Jesus says, right before the verses, it's what we just read. That which is born of the flesh is born of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is born of the spirit. If you wanna be moved by the spirit, what he's saying to Nicodemus is, if you want what I'm talking about, you actually need something new. You need not a birth again, which is what Nicodemus keeps going. So I gotta re-enter the womb. And once I re-enter the womb, then I get reborn. It's what Christianese, right? We say, brother, you've been born again? No, it's not born again, it's born anew. You were brought to life spiritually where once you were dead, there is now a spiritual being brought to life through the miracle that the Holy Spirit does in us. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you need a new birth because you need a new life. You need something that you've never had before. And in order to do that, you've gotta be born again. Here's the reality for those who are born of the spirit. There's a war going on inside us. Our flesh versus our spirit, our flesh wars for control. It's constantly fighting. It wants to sit back and say, this is how things go. And yet our spirit is sitting back and recognizing even if we had control, it's not gonna work. If you get reborn and born again, and then as soon as you've been reborn, you go back to your flesh to try and lead your life, you will miserably fail. Your flesh is not capable of leading your spirit. Flesh goes first, it reacts fast, it overreacts, it reacts angrily. These are all the things that we're capable of in our flesh. The spirit comes second, it rises. We have to wait and pause. We have to be moving at God's pace in order to let the Spirit lead our lives, to join what the Spirit is doing. And yet that flesh is at war, isn't it? It wants control. It wants to know A through Z. And yet a life led by the Spirit is what? We don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. The reality is our spiritual lives are best led by the Holy Spirit, not by our flesh. And it is best, get ready for it, to join what he's already doing. And I wanna spend the rest of our time today applying this concept to our lives. I wanna talk about the things that we need to do as well as the things that we should probably stop doing. So I'm gonna make four points and we're gonna kind of pick them apart slowly and digest them together. Point one, here we go. You have to know the spirit and recognize his divinity. So the reality for so many of us is it's kind of the father, the son, and their sweet little pet, the Holy Spirit, okay? And that's not how it is. 
It's not the father's kind of the most powerful. And then when we think about hierarchy because that's kind of how earth functions and the spirit's really different. It's this beautiful relationship. We, we do, we, we've done series in the past on the Trinity. Go back and listen to some of that because the reality is it doesn't work in hierarchy. It's this beautiful, perfect submission that they all live together. They're completely equal. And I'm gonna use something uh, that I think is kind of funny sometimes. I'm gonna talk about the way we pray, all right? Some of us, we come and we say, Heavenly Father. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have no problem recognizing the Father. Uh, Jesus, King Jesus, that's one of my favorite phrases. I have a friend that prays that way. She always goes, King Jesus, we come to you today, which is awesome. But it's very rare that we come in and we lead off with, Holy Spirit, we need you to move today. Holy Spirit, we come before you and we, we are begging you as God to come into our lives and to do something unbelievable. There's nothing wrong with praying to one member over the other of the Trinity, but I just wanna say how our language provides for us a lens of a little bit of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is without a doubt the greatest gift that's ever been given by God to humanity. He's the gift of what we receive at conversion. Uh, stay in the book of John, but I want to look at this verse. This is Jesus at the Last Supper talking about the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, Jesus being the first, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. God's plan has always been simple. He reiterates it in Revelation. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be with you as your God. What's beautiful about what God does is he goes, I'm actually gonna upgrade from with you, I will be in you. You see, Jesus went, came to earth, and then he ascended. He sat down at the right hand of God, and gang, I got news, he ain't moved. He is reigning at the right hand of God and the next time he stands up, it's gonna get real weird here on earth because he's gonna come back and conquer. But he's had no reason to move since then. Why? Because he sent a helper, an incredible helper, God in us. And for those of you who are sitting back resting, you're making a lot of distinctive kind of statements between the Holy Spirit. Guys, I know the theology behind it. When the Spirit comes, he brings with him the presence of the Father and the Son. I got my theology buttoned up on that area. But what I'm saying is if you don't know him and recognize that he is as loving and encouraging, he is both corrective, convicting us of sin and righteousness, the good things in our lives saying, this is awesome, let's do more of this, it's life-giving. This over here, this is sin. This will kill you. It's spiritual cancer. He does both, and he's in us. You have to recognize he's on your team, and he's the best gift you got. Let's look at how high Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. Two chapters forward, Jesus doubles down in this same teaching time and says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage Here's the thing about Jesus incarnate. He could be in one place at one time. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He's omnipresent. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you have God in you. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you, leading you and guiding you. But we've gotta be willing to recognize that he's God, he's on your team, and he wants to see the things of Christ continue to dwell in you. They're all working towards the same point. Here's the second point I wanna to make today. If we're gonna be uh, joining what the Spirit does, we have to let him lead. We have to be willing to let the Spirit lead. We go where he's leading. Don't ask him to join you. 
When you use an analogy, since we're talking about the spirit as wind, what's our role? Think about the wind, think about a kite, okay? You're not the wind in this scenario, just so you know, okay? Just to button it up here, make the metaphor clear. Our job is to be like a kite. It's responsive. It's to allow the spirit to move us. But you think about a kite, this fits really well. How well does a concrete kite fly? It doesn't. Doesn't fly. How, how flexible does a kite need to be? Pretty flexible. If I take a kite and try and push it against the wind, does it fly well? Nope. You see, at times, as believers, what we end up doing is we end up taking our lives and we make them really concrete. We sit down and we go, well, I got this family and I got this job and I got this 401k and I got these financial goals and spiritual goals, relational goals. I got all these things I wanna do. I got hobbies, I got a bucket list. I gotta get busy and this stuff all needs to happen. And then here's what we do. Hey, spirit, could you do me a favor? Could you blow through this concrete structure that I've created? It would be really great. Could you come over here? I've got all these things. Blow through them, bless them, favor them. How's that verse go? You know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's not how it goes, is it? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to favor. But we forget that sometimes. So the reality is for each and every believer, we can't be so concrete with our lives. We have to be willing to be flexible and to allow the spirit to move, to change us. If we're sitting here going, spirit blow over here, but he goes, but the, but the plans I have for you, the place I wanna lead you is over here. We have to be willing to sit back and let him do that. And for so many of us, myself included, I get so on top of things, I tend to try and come to the spirit and say, this is where your wind should be blowing because I've set up my life over here. So clearly, this is what it should look like. The third point I wanna talk about today, and this is, I think goes right along with what we just said, is you have to be the person that God made you to be. So many times we can sit back and I think we start to move into these places that get really difficult. We start, and I, I wanna pop into a verse because this will set it up really well, but we start acting like kids at Christmas looking at each other's gifts. There's a great biblical example of this. We'll stay in the book of John, but we'll look at chapter 21 this point. Now, you already see this name, Peter, which means what? We're about to hear just a rad rebuke from Jesus because Peter makes all the mistakes and we get to learn from him. So here's what Peter hears. Uh, we're in John's gospel. So the first like verse here or so is basically just John talking about himself. It's the world's greatest humble brag. Get ready. He says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Who is that? John, he's just talking about himself. And then he says, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now that John's done talking about himself, here's what happens in verse 21. He says, when Peter saw him, talking about John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What's Jesus telling Peter? Hey, Peter, Stop looking around at what your brother's getting for Christmas. Look at the gifts that I've given you. Look at the life that I've prepared for you. Listen, John's got plenty of trial and plenty of triumph. John and I are gonna do John's life. Peter, bring your head, your attention, and your eyes back onto what me and you are doing. We will trial together and we will triumph. But we're gonna do both. Jesus is sitting down and saying, 
I know the plans I have for you, Peter. Don't worry about the plans I have for John. I wanna do life with you. Stop worrying about everyone else. Church, we gotta hear that today. Because if you truly want the spirit to move through your life, and let's say you tackle the hurdle of getting flexible enough, if you're trying to convince yourself that you're a kite, that you were never made to be by God, it ain't getting off the ground because the wind may be blowing in a different direction. The reality for all of us is we're made for different things. We're gifted differently. That's why it's a body and not just one single cell. We're the body of Christ. We all have different roles and different giftings. If God has gifted you to be in a support role and he has gifted you to support great leaders, one, that's what you're gifted for. You're probably not going to lead super well if that's not what you're gifted for. And two, there are leaders that desperately need support. Leaders are hard, they're tricky. I, I work with a lot of them, I consider myself to be a leader. And I'll tell you, I'm a little bit of a mess sometimes. And there is a whole army of people behind me who are keeping me alive and sustained. I'd be lost without them. At the same time, if you're one of those people who's designed to lead, but the enemy has convinced you, you're too ashamed, you're too diminished, and you're just sitting on the sidelines, you're never gonna be fulfilled either because the Lord's gifted you not to follow, but to lead. You need to get off the bench and get into the game. You see, you've gotta be willing to be who God made you to be, whether it's supportive or, or it's leading. God's made you to fit somewhere in the body. And I'm just using that as an example. There's a thousand of them. But if you're sitting back and you're not using your gifts in one way or the other, or you're trying to use gifts that aren't yours, like Peter was, hey, what about, I wanna go lead John's life. Well, guess what, Peter? The spirit ain't blowing the wind over John's life for you. That's John's wind. You let him use it. That'll get his kite off the ground. Peter, you come over here and let the wind blow you in the direction I need you to go. Church, we've got to be willing to accept our gifts and sometimes painfully. My life's a great example of that. I was running in a direction. God goes, that ain't where I want you to go, Rustin. And I got pretty radically train wrecked. And you talk about a 180. People laugh when they hear what I'm doing today. Seriously? You're at a, you. Yeah, me. This is where the wind was blowing. This is where God took me. I didn't ask for this. This is the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing. But that's how it works. We gotta be willing to let the spirit move through our lives and push us where he wants us to go. All right, this is the one that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about, but it's also been the most painful for me to apply because as I read through this this week and this little revelatory point came together, I went, ooh, I'm really bad at this. Here's what it is, point number four. You have to move at his pace, not yours. We've gotta be willing to move at the pace that the spirit has for us, not our pace. So I wanna use an example here. I want you to pretend that the front of this music stand right here is presence in time with God. And I want you to kind of just watch what I'm about to do as a bit of a metaphor for our lives. We're all super busy, okay? We say it. If I ask any one of you how you're doing, what's gonna happen? Hey, how you doing? And you go, oh, I'm good, just busy. Like it's some sort of a gold medal that we stick around our neck and go, I have value because I have things to do. We all do it. We all say it. I hope by the time you're done, that phrase comes out of your mouth with like an almost stammered embarrassment because it's killing us. So here's how our lives work. All right, I got stuff to do. I know God, I wanna spend time with him. So I start walking around my life and I get there and I go, hey God, how's it going? But I got a job 
Now I got people I gotta hang out with. I got friends, I got a life, a wife, I got kids. I'm doing all those things and I'm gonna try and continue to, hey God, spend time with the Lord. But I got all this other stuff. I gotta make sure that stuff's buttoned up. But you know what? I'm starting to feel a little distant from God. I'm not really sure why that's happening. Hey God. But I got, you know, maybe I'm gonna start volunteering at the church. That's gonna help me out. I'm gonna start a small group. I'm gonna start giving back. Maybe I'll start greeting, handing out, you know, whatever I need to at the church. It's gonna be really good. Hey God. But you know what? I'm starting to think to myself, you know, I feel really far away from God. I don't feel close to him at all. I feel like maybe God abandoned me. <laughs> hey God. And then something happens. You know what that something is? We're running at a pace that completely shipwrecks us and we find ourselves desperate and broken on our knees because of something that happened in our marriage, our relationships, finances, whatever it is. And now we're sitting here completely broken and all the music stops. And we start clinging to that one empty chair, which is that time with the Lord. And you start spending all the time that you have with him. You don't leave his side. As a matter of fact, your life is now getting in the way of your time with God, not God getting in the way of your life. And when you have to get back up and get functional, you kind of do one of these and you start walking away, but you're going, your eyes never leave him. And you're doing your job and you're doing the wife and the kids thing and you're doing all this stuff that's going on, but you can't wait to get back to God. And then we do this. We film a my story. And everybody says the same thing. Oh, the time when I was broken, I was so close to God. Brokenness creates submission. What you do with the submission is critical. If what you do with your broken heart is take it back to the Lord and you spend time with him, I'll submit to you. You were close to God because you spent time with him. It wasn't just because you were broken. And that's the challenge. The American life is absolutely insane. We sit back. You know what one of the Ten Commandments is? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. How many of us have an entire day dedicated to rest and time and presence with God? Real quiet in here right now. Because it's hard for us. We don't do that, but then we kind of sit back and go, but I don't feel close to him. Guys, I'm gonna recommend a resource that I've been getting into that has been super helpful. It's a book. It's not the Bible. That one's really good. And I'm gonna continue to ask you to read that. But this one was specific to what was going on in my life. It's a book by John Mark Comer. All right, he's a pastor up in Portland. He's a guy I really respect and a guy I think a lot of. This book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Bright orange, like a caution cone. This should be, all right? I had the bookstore bring a bunch of them in. We'll probably sell out after this service, all right? They're also available at Cactus and Northridge. So these books are available for purchase. Here's why. This guy does a really great job. He started a church in like his late 20s, early 30s. It grew by 1,000 people a year for seven years. He was in his early 30s sitting there going, I got a lot going on in my life. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's got a podcast that's really great as well, it's called This Cultural Moment. But he's sitting there and he's doing all this stuff. And he describes, and I'm dead inside, dead inside. This book is about his journey back to some very simplistic rhythms that he found peace in. But he talks about our American life and he says, God is love and love and hurry are incompatible. He talks about this insane, what he calls a frenetic pace of our American life. And as he sits back and talks about how crazy it is, he makes this quote, I think it's so great. It's easy to assume this pace of life is normal. It's not. The time famine we grew up in is relatively recent. We're still testing it out as a species. And the early results are terrifying. My question is simple. What is all this distraction, addiction, and pace of life doing to 
our souls. We do have time. Well, wait, we don't. But we have these things that are supposed to be saving us time, right? It's an iPhone, this is mine. It's what, it's, what it looks like, all right? You'll see me on it more than I should. But these devices are designed to save us time. I mean, you can email from it. You can take pictures from it, videos. You can do, like, we've done this before. You lay out all the devices that used to be separate that are now one, and they all fit in here. A compass, I could find my way around. And yet, one of the things that Comer points out that I think is so great, there's been a lot of discussion about iPhones. Some of you have seen the, the documentary, The Social Dilemma, it's supposed to be really good, okay? He says this, your phone doesn't work for you. You own it, you're in possession of it. But remember, your phone works for a corporation in Cupertino, California. It is designed to keep you on it. These very machines that have been saving us time, that are designed to give us more time back, what are we doing? We're pouring all the time we saved right back into the machines that saved it for us. We literally get onto our phones. Anybody ever done this? I'm just gonna check out a quick text message. 40 minutes later, you get off your phone. Why? Because you went on to look at a text message, then you went to an email, then you went over to Facebook, Instagram, then you went over to do, oh, text again. Oh, something's on the news. I'm gonna check ESPN. 40 minutes later, halfway through it, my wife looks at me and goes, what are you doing on your phone? I'm just checking a text. No, you're not. You were checking a text 20 minutes ago. Now you're on ESPN. Why? Because it doesn't work for you. And let me tell you something. The pace that this thing wants us to move at, it is not the Lord's pace. Like, I know this sounds harsh. This is the furthest thing from a commercial for Apple right now. But I'm just telling you right now, these phones are moving us at a pace that keeps us looking so quickly from thing to thing that we're just trying to survive. But it, feel, it keeps me distracted. You don't want to be distracted. We can't be present because our minds are worrying all the time. Comer talks about something. I think this is good for us. It's just a quick heart check. You ready? He talks about hurry sickness. And he gives us three quick symptoms. I'm just going to say them out loud. Please don't raise your hands. This will get, it'll be more activity. All the wind might just literally suck out of the room at all the hands going up. Moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. No, we don't, we've never done that. Counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the line that has the least or going the fastest. Nobody's ever cut anybody off. Excuse me, sir. I'm going to get to that line before you do. Okay, here's the last one. Multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. No, I'm just getting older. I'm just losing my brain. No, you're not. We got, too many, we got too many plates spinning. We have hurry sickness. We're in such a hurry, we're starting to lose the ability to function. This is a great quote when it talks about our life and our hurry. Not to play armchair psychologist, but I'm sure we all have hurry sickness. And get this, gang, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. It's violence on the soul. This crazy pace that we're all screaming around at, it's violent to our spirit, to the place of us where our soul resides, where we're sitting there going, I need to, but I can't. Here's the raw statistics, gang. The average American male spends 10,000 hours on video games by age 21. Now, before you leap to the conclusion, men are the worst, we're all doing this in some way, shape, or form, but by Malcolm Gladwell's math, that individual would be an expert on video games. The average American spends 705 hours on social media per year, and the average American spends 2,700 plus hours on TV. It's 113 days 
you go, no, there's no way. Yeah, it's real. Watch a football game. And then when you go to bed, watch another hour or two of something else. You're there, seven hours a day. The reality is we're all moving crazy fast, but we're saying, I don't, I'm not really, how many of you said this? I'm not really a reader. I don't really have time to read. The author of the book says he reads two to three books a week. If I read a book a month, I feel like I'm killing it. Two to three a week? Do you know what I said when I read that? Two to three a week? How do you have the time to, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm not supposed to say. Here's a great quote when it comes to intaking information found in books. Here's the simple truth behind reading a lot of books. It's not that hard. We have all the time we need. The scary part, the part we all ignore is that we are too addicted, too weak, and too distracted to do what we all know is important. That's Charles Chu. Guys, I know this hits really hard. I know it's really convicting. The only reason I can tell you, I, like, I think this is good for us is one, I love you as your pastor, but two, I'm applying this to my own life and I'm finding little breakthroughs as I'm starting to feel myself slowing down. But let's take books out of the equation for a minute. With all the hurry and all the nonsense that we tend to get caught up in, with all the nonstop sprinting from task to task, we have the audacity to utter the phrase, I just don't know why I don't feel close to or led by God or his spirit. Guys, it may very well be the things we need to stop. I know this is a convicting message, but here's the thing. If you feel convicted, I'd love to start seeing us change because guess what? I'm gonna preach to somewhere around 5,000 people this weekend, online or in person. I don't wanna be talking to 5,000 people who are gonna lay in deathbeds and go, I just wish I'd slowed down because it'll be way too late by then. I wish I'd just, whew. here's the reality. Most of us can't read because we can't slow our minds down. We can't be still. We can't be present. It takes me 15 minutes to chill enough to be able to actually take information from written word and be able to Start taking it in. And then I can get into a little bit of a reading rhythm, but it takes me 15 minutes to do that. Do you know why? Because I'm used to being IV fed through screens. Just give me information visually. I don't have to work. Reading is something that happens in the quiet and it's good for our souls. My friends, the Lord's not going to chase us down. The Lord is not going to, do, to join us in something unhealthy. He's still with us, but he's not gonna sit here and go, you know what, let me speed up so that I can join you guys in this crazy American pace that's killing all of you because it's toxic. The reality is this, and I wanna say it clearly today because I love all of you. The life that we're leading at the pace that we're leading it is radically disobedient. And we just don't say it. We actually praise it. Get busier because then you have value. People need you to do things. You must be important. They're lies. And they're keeping us from the pace of life that to be honest, looks exactly like the world's. Many of us are no more at peace than the world is because we're moving at the pace of the world and it's killing us. The Lord's not gonna sit back and change his pace to join us. We've got to expect us to slow down so that we can join the Lord. Guys, all of these conclusions, these applications that I'm trying to apply to our lives, they're really simple, but I consider them to be those magnets, the things that pull us away from our true north. A lack at times of seeing the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift God has ever given to us, a dwelling within us of God himself, our inability to let him lead, but to ask him to blow through the concreteness of lives we've already put together. 
trying to be someone God hasn't designed us to be instead of just saying, this is who I got. This is what you've made me to be. So I'm gonna accept that and let the wind blow through it and see what God does. And lastly, this crazy pace, this busyness of our lives. Guys, do you see it now? Can you feel it? Do you see the distracting magnets of our world, how hard they're working, how desperately hard they are working to try and draw us away from the spirit? The month of December in our church is actually gonna be kind of, I get to close out today's series, which we've done, but I sort of get to tee up a little bit of where Jamie's going in the month of December, which is to say, we gotta slow down. Jamie's preaching this month is gonna kind of take our eyes off of the world and start putting them back on Christ and the spirit will be the one who leads us there. He's gonna focus specifically on the challenges that arise from our stuff, our jobs and our families. They're all good things. It's just when they take the place of magnetic pull, they draw us away from where the spirit's leading us. Our women, women's ministry is a great example. They just sent out over 1,500 mailers to women who've signed up in our different uh, Bible studies and things. They're, they're a 24-hour guided time of focus and dwelling with the Lord. It's a fast, a time to come in and set other things aside to sacrifice for the Lord so that you can focus on him. It's a beautiful project. We've sent out devotionals, which we talked about in our announcements earlier. I'm just asking you this, with this conviction in place, which I hope you're feeling, because I've felt it and I've been forced to make change and the change is good. Can we all just take some time during this holiday season and instead of turning it up a notch, could we start bringing it down? Find some rest, find some Sabbath and see what the Lord does with some of that margin. See if it's good for our souls. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, uh, my prayer is that as each and every person would receive this today, that if it's convicting, maybe if it's challenging, that they would hear that as your loving call to them. Not as a, you're doing something wrong, but simply as a, I miss you. You telling them, I, I, I just want some more time with you. And I promise it's best for you that we slow down that we take a deep breath and that we learn to be together in the quiet. We find solace together. Holy Spirit, would you, would you press this message in as a loving message, not one that's coming to shame, but coming to care. Lord, I pray for each and every person that as they analyze their lives, as they take this message today, the truth of your word, that they would bring that back to you and ask, okay, it's just me and you, it's go time. What do you want to change? What do you want to do? What could my life look like if it were more flexible? Who have you made me to be? Asking some of these tough questions, but finding you to be the God who brings us a burden that is easy and light. Oh, we just love you. We give our hearts to you in this area. We pray this in your name. Amen.